0: all one word, and you'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. I want you to have the same experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs. Isn't it time to tell your story? I'm Bill Mitchell, and this is When Dating Hurts. A podcast dedicated to my daughter, Kristen, and all women taken from us before their time by the epidemic known as dating violence. I will speak with authorities in domestic violence, law enforcement professionals, families of victims and survivors, and survivors themselves. The stereotype about dating and domestic violence is that it mostly happens in the toughest parts of towns and cities the most depressed parts. And that's not true at all. My guest, Mikkel Becker, is a dating and domestic abuse survivor. She grew up within a perfect, loving, nuclear family. In dating and in marriage, more than once she had thought she met the perfect guy for her. And more than once, she unfortunately did not. Welcome to the When Dating Hurts podcast, Mikkel. I thought what we could do is go about this in a chronological way. Let us know what life was like when you were growing up.
1: Well, Bill, I I just want to tell you, thank you for everything that you've done. You know, the the thing with my parents, I had a very good upbringing, but I also had a tough upbringing in the way that my parents were very, I would say, I had to be, I felt the need to be perfect. One time I brought home all A's in my report card in high school, but one of them was an A-. minus. My dad is like, he looks at it and he's like, what went wrong? Do we need to talk to your teacher? Uh. My sixth grade teacher, Mr. Gauz, he saved a recording on his phone that he played back for his students for many, many years because he thought it was so funny. Because I had gotten, and let's see, it was an A minus in math in sixth grade and what i did because i felt the pressure and obviously there was a there was that pressure that an a minus wasn't good enough so i tried to go over the grade with ink and make it an a plus but i should have checked the ink because i used blue ink instead of black and so then it was super obvious that i changed the grade and i tried to go over all the rest of them
0: is that your first forgery in life
1: it was I called Mr. Gauz. He wasn't there. So I had to leave a a message on his answer machine. Like, I am so sorry. This is what I did. And, you know, he's like, wow, you know, that he thought it was just, you know, humorous looking back because it was an A. An A is an A. But I always felt a lot of pressure. And I was always a people pleaser, too. So I, I grew up kind of pleasing my parents, trying to be that perfect kid, just feeling a lot of pressure. I had a lot of different boyfriends throughout high school, but for me, it was more about, I think, the conquest to prove that I was enough. I would choose the guys that were cocky, the ones that I never felt quite good enough for. And I think that's kind of like how I sometimes felt with my dad. Now we have an even better relationship because we can be so open about this is what I was experiencing. We've talked through all of it. And I think I just had put a lot of pressure on myself as well for different reasons, including my grandpa's suicide—that I kind of felt, somewhat like I—I I could have saved him, and I didn't, and so that was sort of a, a theme for me: is trying to save these people.
0: So you really, really believe you—you you really believe that you could have saved him?
1: So when I, well, my grandpa, so I was probably maybe nine. Now I don't believe that. Okay but at the time I believed it for, for years, you know, when I was saying goodbye to him, I had a feeling like we just, we went to swim lessons for my brother and we, we had lunch at Burger King and I was saying goodbye to him. And I just had this feeling, I, I don't know, eight or nine, I had this feeling I'm never going to see my grandpa again.
0: Uh, right. But you had the premonition. Mm-hmm.
1: I did. I had that premonition. And I, I just remember just telling him I love you grandpa and I felt like I need to say something else, but I didn't know what to say. And then the next day, I'm outside on trampoline jumping, and I just remember being really happy. And then after jumping for a long time, I just remember like just laying down and staring up at the clouds, and I just felt peace and, um, you know, in that stillness. And all of a sudden, my mom calls me over and she said, You know, your grandpa shot himself. And and it, it was pretty, I mean, it was just kind of right to the point. You know, I think she was still in shock from getting the call. And right. so I said, Oh, oh my God, like, can we go to the hospital? Is he going to be okay? And she goes, well, no, he shot himself twice. And I was like, well, well, is he okay? And she's like, no, he's, he's dead, Mikel. He's, he's gone. And my mom, I, I just don't think she realized how, I think she was just in shock. So I, I just remember being out there on the grass by myself, just bawling and being like, trying to bargain with God. Why not me? Why was it? Why was it my grandpa? Why not me? Like, can I trade my life for his? And From then on, I I had this feeling like I was bad and I needed to like and try and save people. So I think that that idea of saving people and feeling like not enough, not good enough, feeling kind of somewhat bad at my Mm -hmm. core, I think was a, a theme.
0: Yeah, I can see that you're trying to over-engineer everything you do from that point on. Exactly. You know you're never going to be bringing your grandfather back, but you're still going to give her everything you have. So that's tough. That is. That's a tough place to start.
1: It is. It. It really is. And and you know the one boyfriend that I think really shaped me in high school that played into all of my relationships was a boyfriend named Adam, and he was the first man for me that kind of shaped my viewpoint of men, and it mm-hmm. was one of the- in what way. It was one of those relationships where it was very super hot and then super cold. I used to remember with him that was the first feeling of feeling that feeling of abandonment, not enough, but then he'd come back and then he would just be the best and like like really love bombing so crazy about me, like wants to marry me, all of this stuff, and then he would go right back into that and also that theme of infidelity that also played into other relationships later on as well, and kind of that same theme so When I found out that he uh, had cheated on me, that for me was really the biggest heartbreak I think I I had ever experienced and really experienced for, for years past then as well. Because I loved him so much. And, you know, it's like you always think, is someone capable of loving at you know, when they're in high school? And I think for me I was. And it was very genuine for me. So it was, it was such a heartbreak that I just remember afterwards, you know, I still tried to date him after, try to make it work. And of course you just can't get that trust back after it's gone. And but I remember making that vow like I will never love again. And for me what that meant is I will never be like vulnerable again. And yeah. I don't
0: want to be hurt again like that. Exactly.
1: Mm-hmm. And so I th- I think that because of that, I was more, I went even more into that kind of having to earn affection, earn something versus like someone mm-hmm. really cares about me because it's the real me and they just want to be with me because, because of that.
0: You're just comfortable together and then that's good enough. Exactly. What's the time span that Adam was part of your life.
1: He was really part of my life for probably 3 or 4 years altogether cuz we stayed friends after even and you know talked through that and you know tried to make it work in a relationship and it just it it wasn't going to work again but he he really was my my first love and my really my true love. So I don't think like even in I was married twice which I know we're going to get into that in my mind, I thought I loved them, but I don't think I really did. I don't, I don't think it was really truly love. So I went into college and I ended up joining a sorority. My sorority was Tri-Delta at uh, Washington State University. I think that that was the next sort of a setup for a, an abusive relationship in some ways, because it was, it was a very different sorority. It was very different from the experience that I know a lot of people have where they love their sorority. I was one of the few nice girls, na- labeled nice girls by other people mm. uh, that was really in my, my pledge class. And they would say to me, you're like one of the last nice girls that's left, like all of the others have left for good reason. Because there was a lot of bullying, a lot of control. And, you know, it was quite the experience because during that time, I experienced my sorority actually being shut down um, because of some of the stuff that was going on and i mean it got to the point where they were slashing the house mom's tires looting the house we had policemen standing guard it was quite the event
0: so it's kind of animal house but the female version
1: yes exactly oh my and and i started to notice some of those patterns like where i would quiet myself i would go along with things but i would i would stand up in my own ways like i remember i was i was the one that would During Rush, for instance, we would have the opportunity to have different girls come in the house and I liked girls just for who they were, their personality. I let girls through that others were like, oh, you have these codes where you can't say that they're chubby, they're fat or anything like that. Which to me, it's like, I, I don't care. It's just a person. Like I would let people through because I thought they were awesome people, the ones that I really clicked with. And I remember some of the girls, they would say, oh, we can't let her in because she has braces or she's a cupcake. So that's the code word they would use for someone that's that's heavier. They would put up signs, like the one girl, they put up signs all around the, the house, don't let Miss Piggy in, vote her out, and had pictures of her. And she got in, and, I was, and she ended up being super popular. Everyone absolutely loved her, and I was so proud of myself for, you know, in my own way, standing up for people. It really was, it was a hard experience, and I really withdrew, I think, and, and got quiet. And I look back and wish I would have been even stronger and spoke up more. But I also don't know that that it would have done much good in that situation.
0: Didn't you think about leaving?
1: So that's the thing. I I don't think I. Why is
0: that not an option?
1: I don't think that I realized I had my own voice and my own rights. Like I remember talking to people. I would talk to the president of our sorority and like talk to her about I I'm not feeling comfortable. And I would let people persuade me. So my parents were persuading me to stick it out and to stay in there. Huh. And the, the main leader of the sorority was um persuading me. So I I just I was trying to please other people and I and I didn't feel that I had the right or ability to get out on my own. I and I think that's something I've come into more and more and more is realizing I need to do what I know is right for me, even if other people, including those I care about, don't don't understand it.
0: It's just amazing how in one of your emails to me you talked about yourself being naive and vulnerable and gullible. Yes. And I see it coming through even in this instance. Exactly. Or you're on this path and it's like, you just think that this is what you're supposed to do somehow. And like, you don't have options. You can't, you can't bail out of this thing.
1: Yeah, that's exactly it.
0: So you run into some guy who's really bad news at some point. When does that come along?
1: Yes. By the way, I had gotten most gullible in high school. I was voted that. I didn't understand it at the time. And I think it literally goes back to, yeah. Like my dad would always tell me guys will do anything, say anything, be anything, you know, in order to get what they want. And, only now looking back can I see how clear that was. So, I, you know, I I think I was set up to fail when I met this guy. I'm going to call him Voldemort. For anyone who has seen Harry Potter, read the books, he who must not be named, but I'm going to name him Voldemort. And how old
0: are you when you meet Voldemort?
1: I was 20. So, And I was married to him when I was 20. I wasn't even 21 yet. So I got married to him within three months. I think it was three months from physically meeting him. Are you tonight. still in
0: college? It must be in college when this happened. Yes.
1: Yep. I was in college. Okay. Yeah. And I had just gotten
0: three months and you marry this guy.
1: Yes. I just gotten out of the sorority and, you know, we still had like the X tri Delta parties and stuff like that. And, but I was kind of moving past that cause I was just, I was just really over the whole thing. And, you know, I felt like he came in at, at a, a time when I was really vulnerable because I was kind of making this new start starting off on my own. I always had someone to direct me. My dad was that strong director of my life, I think, in a lot of ways when I was growing up. And then it kind of became the sorority as well as my parents. And then it transitioned into Voldemort, kind of took over my life in his own way. But he came in literally as that Prince Charming, that guy I had had always waited for and longed for that was going to make everything right, like that Disney fairy tale prince. He checked all the boxes of everything that I wanted. He was a cowboy. He was charming. He was so sincere and so sweet he was deep, I felt like, you know, he could talk about these things that he went through and what he learned from it. And it felt in so many ways, like the perfect deal. Looking back, I see little red flags, but I was, I was pretty blind to it. And again, naive, vulnerable, and gullible.
0: When you talk about red flags that you maybe saw, but didn't interpret correctly, what would some be that come to mind?
1: One time he took me on a motorcycle and I was always afraid of being on a motorcycle because my parents had always warned me, you know, after being in, in accidents of their own, you know, to be really careful. And so I told him how, you know, I would go on the motorcycle, but we need to drive really safe. And he ended up going 150 miles per hour on this thing at one point in time. And I remember being terrified and just like,
0: Were you on it with him when he did 150? Yes, I was on it with him. Yikes. Yeah. That is terrifying. And
1: he's just laughing. And then that's how he is, is he will find a way to make anything like that, find a way to make it funny or like, Oh my God, I was just joking. It was nothing. And so that was a red, red flag. There were different things with women looking back there were some big ones i can't believe that i missed them but also he was so persuasive and always had the right answer so for instance there was a lady who a taught scuba class and who he had a he said it was just a friendship with but when i went over there to go hang out with him and his friends and i had my friends over so we were kind of having a little mini party at their house the lady was like passed out in his bed and waiting for him in his bed and he was saying oh oh god yeah she's just always wanted me she's just you know she's all about me and you know i've never had anything like promised me you'd never had anything but, but you know it's just that's how she is and for sure he had something. Also, there was another girl I ended up getting off of Facebook. So he isolated me in the way of social media, took me away from that social connection because he said there was a girl that had been just obsessed with him since high school. And she thought that they were dating, but they were never dating. She was never his actual girlfriend when it was college age. So she and her friends were chewing him out that he has a new girlfriend on Facebook, that she's just obsessed. And looking back, I have no doubt that she was actually dating him. And I was the other woman and I didn't even know it. And he persuaded me that I wasn't. Another time he punched a hole in the wall. And it was because I was at a party with some of the ex tri deltas. And I don't know what happened. I think that I think it was one of those situations where I may have been drugged because I just remember you know, at that point in time, I, I drank very rarely, I didn't drink a lot. And so I just remember sipping a drink. And the next thing I know, I remember running down towards my house, and I'm just crying. And I, I was crying in my room. And he was trying to call me. And I just remember like not answering the phone, just I'm just and I'm crying. And I don't even know why I'm crying. And I still, to this day, I don't know why, Uh but he came in the room and he thought that I had done something with a guy or that a guy had done something to me. And so he said he was so mad that that's why he punched a hole in the wall. He made up excuses for this, that it's because he wanted to protect me and he wanted to get back at whoever had done that to me to put me in that place and where I was bawling on the bed. And so those were some red flags. And Another one that I missed was him. He had a cross tattoo on his arm. And uh, I asked him about it. And he said, well, p- part of it was light. Um, I think it was like a lighter green. Part of it was darker. And I asked him what it meant. And he said that the cross is like him, that there's a lot of light and good to him, but also a lot of dark. And, you know, there's a dark side to him as well. I remember like, getting this weird, eerie feeling about that. But then also once he talked about it, he could kind of like talk it off as, you know, not that big of a deal. So those were the main red flags.
0: The red flags, were they in the three months period or is this once you were married or a mixture?
1: Uh, Those were during the dating period. But to think about this and put it in perspective, also everything else was so good. Like he was so fun. We had such a fun time together. He was so charming. He was just so affectionate and would tell me all the time like you are perfect you're perfect just the way you are i just love the way that you look like exactly as you are like so uh, giving me these words of affirmation and as a words of affirmation person he was very good Uh at doing that and so i felt those red flags seemed you know even though they are huge and glaring now and i can't believe i went through with it he did these things like that nobody else had done You know, when I was sick, bringing me over this whole sick package and trying to to nurse me back to health and doing these things that, yeah, that that really kind of swept me off my feet.
0: So that one came to a halt. Well, you were married. How long were you married?
1: I was married for about three years. And as soon as I married him, literally that night, everything started to change. Like, I just remember going to bed and it was like, so he talked me into eloping Uh, and I can't believe I did that either. But for me, as being this good Christian girl, I, first of all, didn't feel like I had kind of rededicated my life to God and like, I'm going to be a kind of that renewed virgin kind of thing, like where I'm, you know, save myself for this, you know, whoever I'm going to marry. And with Voldemort, he talked me into doing stuff before I was married. So I felt guilty. And so I think he used that piece as well as, you know, saying things. I remember before we got, got married, he said, you know, like a prayer of kind of dedicating his life to God and because it was really important to me that I marry a Christian so he you know I talked to him about God because I was just very much very passionate about it and so he said the said a prayer with me you know dedicating his life to God like God forgive me of my sins like I believe in you that kind of thing and then literally the day we got married he talked me into eloping I also didn't feel like I had a voice there to say no I could have said no, but I also felt like this guy's perfect. Like why, you know, I, I silenced that voice. It's just, I quieted it down. And once I was married to him, like that night, that affectionate part of him, that part that was just so attentive, it started to wane. And I started to see more and more and more of his anger come out after that and more of his, his true colors. And so those things started to emerge. And I remember you know, hearing on a podcast where I heard you first speak, where you talked about how when you met your daughter's boyfriend, you just had this feeling like, I wouldn't want to you know, mess with this guy.
0: Wouldn't want to tangle with that guy is exactly what I thought. I I just pictured fighting with him. I mean, I'm shaking his hand and I've been around him for maybe not even minutes. And I had never had that feeling before.
1: Yeah. That's like not a normal feeling. And I, I remember as I was thinking about, Talking today, I was thinking about with Voldemort. One of the feelings that I had. So this is on our 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 honeymoon, Mm -hmm. our pre-honeymoon. Um, after we got married, we went to the coast and I remember looking, we went to the state park and we were over there kind of overlooking on the the cliff. And I remember not wanting to walk out on the edge of the cliff because I thought this guy's gonna push me off. He's gonna push me off, he's gonna kill me. Like, Mm -hmm. what in the hell? I I where did that come from? I've never thought that about anybody before. But I remember literally thinking, he's going to try and kill me. Such an odd thought, but it was a premonition, I think, of seeing that's kind of his heart. Mm -hmm. That's his true Mm -hmm. heart. And so more and more stuff came out. Him being a Christian, he supposedly within uh, not even two weeks, he... He got
0: over that right?
1: Oh yeah. He was well over that. He's like, yeah, you know, I actually don't believe in God. Not only do I not believe in God, I, I, he went from like, just kind of like not caring to like completely against mm. it, like very atheistic. And, uh, which was a, a big deal for me because my faith was so important to me. So that was really distressing. Also, you know, the part where he,
0: did he tell you that the cross on his back was actually a letter T and, uh, that was a fake too. <laughs> could have been.
1: <laughs> I, 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 yeah, it really could have yeah. been. I think, I you know, know. it's, it, you know, he, You know, it's interesting because like his, this person that was very close to him within the family later told me different things. And she said, and he later admitted to, that he had catered his whole social media, his whole persona to exactly what I wanted. And he was after me for what he thought would be a lot of money because of who my dad was.
0: Oh, how about that?
1: He didn't know I would be making only $1,200 a month for many years after college. Like I was not making the big bucks.
0: That's interesting in the world of gaslighting because that's the nature of the gaslight movie. It it was all about somebody messing with someone's mind so they could get to the money. And then here your life was a reenactment. How about that?
1: It really was like, even like, cause I always loved, you know, I'm a cowgirl, i grew up riding horses. Like he, he made himself to be a cowboy. He's this big cowboy. He, you know, all of these things that were not even real. And even that piece of him that I thought loved me just as I was, that changed immediately after too. So soon after he's like, you know, I think you need a boob job. You need liposuction. You need all of these things. And yeah. So I went from him saying I was perfect to, you know, you need to change all of these things.
0: Yeah. You need, need some work.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I I look back at myself and I'm like, God, you know, I, I I can't, but I was so, I don't know, I was just vulnerable. I was insecure and I wasn't confident in myself. So I always felt like I wasn't enough. So it kind of confirmed, I think, that underlying belief I that I had and without even realizing that I had Ugh,
0: it. That is just so devious, insidious. You know, it's just that somebody would put in that much work to just... You know, like figuring out a part and acting it out perfectly. And that's what he did. I mean, he had the whole thing. He had it all propped out.
1: Mm -hmm. It's it's very... With him. He's a chameleon. And I think people like him can be chameleons, like where they they morph, they change into whatever it is. So, you know, now he has it with a new person he's married to, he has a completely different persona, uh, completely different. And and I and it's so convincing. I think he almost believes it himself, where he with me was this fun, outgoing, just really seemingly kind, charismatic guy. Now he, because she is you know, a doctor, a specialist, now he's this guy that's just so studious, so structured. So he's even changed his past to the point of where he said, you know, I was just such a great student. I got all A's and I remember he, he was not, he was none of that. It's amazing to me. Um, How
0: do you have a a view into what he's up to now? How do you know?
1: So I kind of hear it through um, other people more so and, and I also do see it. I see it even through text messages, calls, things like that. So yeah, I, I see that and. I word for different girlfriends of his, you know, but I also realized, you know, I I wasn't open to seeing the picture because he was so persuasive. Mm -hmm. He could talk himself out of anything. Looking back on on all the stuff that I did, you know, I'm I'm a smart girl, but I think the reason why I was so vulnerable was because you know at heart I always want good for other people. I always try and be genuine and authentic. So I think sometimes we can project things about ourselves onto other people.
0: There's no doubt about that. Yeah. That if you're trying to be a certain way and you feel for the most part good about the way you're the way you are and the way you're trying to be, that others maybe are the same way. And if they're projecting that, then you think, wow, this is great. You know, we're joined at the heart and soul. And this is great.
1: Exactly. You
0: don't realize that other person over there just sizing you up. So you're just sucked right down the drain with that person. And then like you say, once you got married, you know, eloping, mm-hmm. um, you know, all of a sudden mm-hmm. it's like, okay, we don't have to, all the trappings can go away. You can start to take the mask off. And so that one came to a screeching halt. What What was the final straw in that one? What was the bottoming out moment for you? Or was it just the accumulation of so much baggage?
1: So when it started to really turn is when I started to go to counseling. And so the first glaring thing that, I mean, just like where it's like, this is non-negotiable was one day uh, we were in the apartment. I think I was getting ready or doing something in the other room. And I heard this, just this like kind of like screaming, kind of yelp. It was the sound I'd never heard. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had two pugs at the time. And so I just ran, you know, instinctively just ran as fast as I could into the to the other room. And I see Voldemort perched over top of our pug, Bruce, and he had his fist up oh. and had him held down on the ground with his hand over the dog's throat, ah. um, over Bruce's ah. throat. And I just remember like screaming and just being like, oh my God, what are you doing? And I scooped Bruce up and he, you know, is like, I, I, I don't, I don't know. And I go, did you hit him? do you, you hit him? Like, and he goes, no, no. I, I, so basically he was making excuses for it. And then eventually when it came down to it as he's now crying, I've never done that before. I've never done this. He said, you know, I don't know what came into me, you know, but Bruce wasn't looking away from me. So this goes into that kind of dominance line of thought of training, though it's gone way beyond it at this point, because it's gone to the point of punching a dog because the dog won't look away. Um, When you look Mm -hmm. at them and I was just horrified and I, I can't remember timeline wise if it was right after that I left but I do know that there was a period where I did leave took the dogs with me and he persuaded me to come back by it was through tears through crying through I will never do this again i decided okay this is it i one last chance. you cannot ever do this again to him if you ever touch the dogs again i it is absolutely over i'm calling the cops i am done it's over he agreed to that soon after that too he he started to persuade me and he's the type like where he kept up this part of him that had that good persona just like that person i'd first met where he had you know supposedly changed turned over a new leaf and he became that person again. And so he persuaded me, like, you know, we should think about having a kid, you know, so let's, let's, let's think about this. And so because he had shown me that he was changing, I was like, oh God, okay. You know? And again, I kind of went with someone else's wishes above my own because I always felt like that's what I needed to do was like make other people happy and put their wishes above, above myself and their feelings. And, Right as I found out I was pregnant, it was like, and I had feelings about it, but didn't know for sure. That's when I was like, uh, I need to get back on birth control because started, things started to show again where I'm like, uh-uh, he is not changed. He is not changing. I remember we were going out to my parents' house and it was a snowstorm and we stopped at the store because my mom had asked, can you guys please get this on your way home? And I still had literally like my beach clothes on because I had been in Miami and, you know, I had nothing with me and, and he orders me to go in and go get this milk, go get the things that we needed. And I was trying to, you know, saying like, please, I, I don't want to. And he, I felt You know, he pushed me, bullied me into going and doing this. And he, in the snowstorm, stops in the middle of this like bridge area where on both sides, it's kind of a blind spot where and there's very little room for someone to stop. And he stops in the middle of this bridge in this blind spot area and will not move the car. Out of that stop position until I say I'm sorry. (laughs) And so I'm terrified. I'm crying, and I wasn't going to say I was sorry because I wasn't sorry. And then eventually, I'm like, okay, I'm sorry because I literally thought we were going to get hit and die. Which I, yeah, I, it would have been bad. Lesser
0: of two evils. Yes.
1: Yes, exactly. And you know, it's and I think he, you know, of course he was training me to not stand up for myself. And so when I finally was pushed to the point that I did stand up for myself, that was a a big no-no on his end. So that was that threat of violence. So from there, I'm pregnant. Um,
0: so you did get pregnant with him?
1: I did. I was already pregnant uh, by that time. I thought, hey, I need to put the brakes on this. And I am so grateful, though. I, I My daughter is now 13. She is the okay. best thing to have ever happened to me. And I mean, truly, the best day of my life is the day that she was born. So I am so grateful for that. But I at the time, it was so stressful. And it only honestly got worse from there even more stuff started to come out. And, um, you know, at the time I went to a dog training school for a few months is very start of the pregnancy. And that was one of the best things for me because that time away gave me time to, to breathe and time to have perspective and to realize all of the things that I'd been missing about myself because I had given up on so much of myself for this person. And, you know, and while I'm there working on bettering myself, he's up in Canada, just partying it up. I wouldn't hear from him for i think he called me twice the entire six weeks i was there you know it's he was just really having a great time and i think that was the start of his infidelity when he came back essentially he would be out partying wouldn't get in touch with me I finally started to tell my parents what was going on. So that was that was absolutely key was opening up and being honest about, you know, what was happening. So I wanted my parents to like him so much and I felt embarrassed. I felt ashamed. So I had held that stuff in. And, you know, the day I finally spoke up to my parents about what was going on, they validated every single thing that I I was experiencing. So my dad actually went and we talked to Voldemort together, met at a park and said, you know, this is not right. You can't treat her this way. These are the things you're doing. These are the things you need to change. We started couples counseling at this really great psychology center at Washington State University. The head psychologist lady comes in. She's talking to me, and I'm, you know, kind of tearful and, you know, just trying to, you know, say what I'm feeling. She's like, you're good. She goes, this isn't about you. She goes, she goes, him, she goes, he'll never change. He's bad news. He is not going to change you need to get away. She goes, I understand if you need to go through this just to see, but she goes, he's not going to change. I'm telling you now, like he's not. Damn if she wasn't right.
0: I've heard that kind of story before, by the way, the same thing, where it's just like the couple goes and they meet up with this counselor of some kind and they go through it. And on the way out, you know, the counselor grabs the woman by the arm. You know, it's never going to happen. You know, you can, you can do this pantomime if you want, but this is done, you know, do yourself a favor cut your losses i mean whatever she said was just you know drop this guy like a heavy weight
1: exactly yeah and that was further validating because i i had been made to feel over time that it was all my fault i'm not doing enough it's me and so i was like god no it is it really is him and i mean it was just honestly enlightening to me and for my daughter i want to feel like i've done every single thing i can do starting to do to instill boundaries i'm starting to feel more confident about myself I, I didn't walk away from it at that point in time. Cause I still thought I haven't gone through the counseling yet. Like maybe there's something, there's some way. And of course he's some
0: magical thing will happen.
1: Yeah. And of course, you know, he's trying to make it like, you know, I'm everything to him. He's nothing without me. So I feel sorry for him almost and protective of him. Mm. So, you know, I stay with him, but then it gets worse and worse. And I remember being pregnant He wanted me to go out with his friends. So I went out downtown to just, you know, sit with them at a bar. Of course, I'm not drinking, but just to go there and meet his friends, hang out with them because he, as well as the next husband that we're going to talk about, both of them, even though they act confident, they really aren't that confident. Like they need someone at their side, that sidekick with them, like that person to, they want to have someone with them a lot of the time. And so he would pull me into these situations where I was like, I don't really want to go, but okay, I'll go as soon as we walk into the bar as loud as he can, he, he goes, um, he goes, anyone who wants to can fuck my wife tonight.
0: You oh. guys can fuck
1: my wife. And I was mortified and just like,
0: I guess so. That's incredible. yeah. And I'm
1: freaking pregnant. Like I'm pregnant and how awful. and And for me, and I think it was because I was that girl who had rededicated her life to God and like being pure was so important to me that I think he picked on that. And so, cause I remember him saying like, well, why did you, why did you even have that purity ring? Like, I don't care. You should have had as much fun as you wanted to before you met me. Like, and so he diminished that, um, you know, I'd written a note to my future husband, you know, that was nothing to him. I don't even think he ever read it. And, you know, and from there it got actually worse. I remember one day he came home you know, I'm on like basically next to bed rest at this point in time because of different complications with the pregnancy, which I think a lot of that was due to stress. Uh-huh. Yes. And I remember him saying, like, you know, I am so sorry. This is like a two-hour talk about how sorry he is about all the things that he's done to me and how wrong he's been. And at the very end of the two hours, when I'm just starting to think, like, like maybe he means this, he's like, and you know, I love you so much that I think that we should do swingers. Oh. And I was like, what? That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I was like, I, I honest, God, I didn't even know what that was. So I had to have him like explain to me. And I was like, what? A little like, bit
0: disappointed when he explained it, right?
1: Yeah. And I was like, over my dead body. I mean, I, I would rather die. Like, no, never. And it it got, and it was continuous. It was continual pressure to do swingers. And he actually put, adds up of me on Craigslist and I know he had talked about it and I think he actually did it where he wanted to have random people come over and have sex with me and oh. that, that is wow. completely against who I am as a person but I think it was that part of him that was trying to find some way to tear me down and also this perverted part of him I guess
0: you don't have to guess yeah, yeah that sounds pretty spot-on
1: yeah so it, well it,
0: somehow you get out of that relationship
1: yes thank God
0: which is like a smoking crater at this point with your description. Yeah, no,
1: it, it was... Like
0: climbing out of that.
1: Yes, thank God. Like, it, thank God. The people the movers that came they're like why are you guys divorcing like you guys get along so well you're not fighting and it's because it
0: seems so perfect together
1: yeah and and uh you know at that point in time it's you know i learned to play the game and to appease him and keep him as nice as possible and you know i left that day and i was just bawling and i was mainly mainly one of the main reasons i stayed with him is first of all i was really worried about my daughter And what was going to happen when i wasn't there so uh, knowing that shared custody was going to be a thing that was terrifying to me and Mm. then secondly because we had the two dogs he refused to give me both of the the dogs so he was keeping one of them and that was Mm. the dog bruce the one that he had punched and so oh my god like that is literally what kept me in there longer than i should have been was because of my dog because i knew the violence he was capable of and you know thank god that I played that game long enough that he ended up giving me back Bruce. I thank God I got both of the dogs. That was just amazing. And I was starting to become more and more of myself. But I also, I went for the exact opposite. So before the next bad relationship, I would say I got into a relationship where I was engaged, but I didn't get married. He was so safe, so safe, but also so boring and just no spice to him, no personality, like just so boring. And, you know, and I think I went for him because yeah, he was, he was so safe, the total opposite, but you know, that I also realized, thankfully I dated him for a while and I realized this is never going to work. And so kind of had a revelation one day that this is, I, I, we are not a match. We're just not a match. This is not who, you know, I'm supposed to be with. And so then I broke things off with him, felt really bad, you know, kind of went into that whole thing again where that person's, you know, potentially going to commit suicide and I'm terrified. Oh, no, and... really?
0: After breaking up with you, you mean? Yeah. That is uh, one of the warning signs, I'd say with all cap letters, but that is one of the ones. I've had people come to me saying that their daughter was dating some guy or The guy thought they were more than maybe they were in this relationship. And in this case, the girl says, look, you know, I'd like you as a friend, but that's about it. And the guy's, I'll kill myself if we're not. What do we do? And I, my advice has consistently been your job is to keep your daughter safe and her life is her life. And that guy's life is his life. And he, he needs to get counseling. He needs to get some help. But your job right now is your daughter you know, she, she's not going back to that guy. And as you well know, anybody who's willing to say they might kill themselves is also willing, maybe possibly to kill someone before he kills himself. And that would but potentially be your daughter. So you don't want them around each other at all. Period. Zero tolerance.
1: Absolutely. And that that's part of those boundaries is realizing that is That is on on them because, yeah, realizing it's not your responsibility. Your own life is your own responsibility. And they they can find those resources elsewhere, Yes, but it's not going to be you. You can't save them. You're not their savior. So
0: maybe start marching us towards the other not-so-good relationship that also ended up in a marriage that did not make it.
1: So I was working for VetStreet.com at the time. and. One of the things that they encouraged me to do was to write a feature story. It was on how to date online when you have a pet. And the reason why they did that is because I was so hesitant to date online because I was just scared, you know, never know who you're going to meet on there. I don't really want to do this, but I ended up doing it and I met someone who I thought was kind of a different Prince Charming, like a real Prince Charming this time where he was so different from the Voldemort, the first husband. And he just, he was very to the point. He wasn't charismatic in that way, but he was just very, I thought, very honest. Also seemed very all about me, just very successful. He was an engineer in at Boeing and just, you know, seemed mm. like this, you know, really a go getter had the first person ever to have gone and gotten his masters within this really short period of time, had to get a special exception. Just seemed like a brilliant guy and also so generous. And essentially it was one of those whirlwind romances. And after meeting him, two weeks later we're engaged. If you can believe it or not, it's terrible. So but it
0: beat your old record of three months.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Big time. And essentially I ended up marrying him and we're going to call him Kylo Ren. So for anyone who likes Star Wars, like I do, he was like Kylo Ren, you know, kind of related to Darth Vader, but unlike Kylo Ren, I felt like I could change him. Once I started to see those bad things come out, I felt like I could change him sort of like Ray does in star Wars, where at the very end of the movie, he changes, he goes back to the light side. I thought I could do that. I thought I would be like her. And you know, I was the love of his life, but he never changed. And my daughter is the day that we left him. I remember feeling really bad, really guilty. And literally we packed up everything that we had in our car and just left, never went back. I just remember her saying, "Mom, why are you so sad? This is happy. It's good to get away from him." And, and I was like, "I just feel really bad for Reagan. I just feel like I don't want to hurt anybody or to have left anybody bad because of me." And and she's like, "You know, he's like the Grinch, but he's like the Grinch that like never came down from the mountain." Mm-hmm. And she's like, "You, we tried to be the people that, that brought him down, and we did all the things that you know to make him try and be kind and to you know to be with us, but he didn't want to. He wants to stay in his own mountain." And man, is that true? Like he just, everything is about him. It's about control. And I remember from the very start, he gave me the heads up like, hey, I I have some things that people might think are OCD, but I have them under control now. So it's like certain things like where, you know, you can't ever take your purse, your shoes, anything into the house. You couldn't no dogs on the furniture. So that was like, hmm, the dog thing. I was like, I don't know how that's going to be, but okay, I guess they can have their dog beds right next to the furniture. Like he kind of had these rules. It was like a handful of rules, but those just expanded and expanded and expanded. And I realized now that I thought I was being kind and I thought I was trying to be understanding of this OCD that he had, but really I was enabling him to be abusive in enabling this. I was making it worse by accommodating him in all Mm of these ways.
0: Well, so besides those things, you know, which are kind of a pain in the neck, but don't sound so bad. What other things came later in terms of just little rules and regulations and things that you're like, wow, this is like a prison camp with this guy.
1: When I was first with him, similar things where he, things seemed fun with him, but then it started to become more and more strict and he started to become more and more critical and controlling. He's a very critical person. So that's another sign i look at in people as I look at, how do they talk about their friends or my friends behind those people's backs? And he would talk shit about everybody, including his own friends and always had different things he liked to pick on people. And that's kind of how his family talks. Their type of conversation is like making fun of people, making fun of situations. So, and also kind of like encouraging him to be so critical and to be such an a-hole because you know they think it's funny, and so his friends think that he's funny. But then that's that's actually not him being funny. That's real. That's that's the real him. There would be little things like where he would with me when I would go out with his friends he'd be like stop doing that with your hair stop doing that like why are you doing that so he is just controlling starting to be controlling then and I remember talking to him about that like you need to leave me alone like on that stuff and so going into this relationship I felt like I was going to handle everything so much better because I had found my strength coming out of that relationship with Voldemort where I was strong. I was, I would stand up for myself so much. And I, I really found my strength from that first relationship. So I brought that into this relationship, which in a lot of ways, I think I protected Reagan from anything because that was like a no-go. You couldn't do anything to her. I also basically realized that I, I think I had a false sense of security in that way where I would address things and think, okay, because I'm addressing things, things are going to get better. <laughs> but he liked to fight so that I I would say that like he actually enjoyed fighting. So anytime I like,
0: like the arguments.
1: Yeah. He really liked the arguments. Like it was, it was fueling for him. And it was, you know, another way to kind of pull me away from other things and other people and get me all to himself again. Like for instance, my parents will say, When Kylo Ren would come up for Christmas and stuff or any holidays, they don't remember one day where he wouldn't find something that he would just be pissed at me for and would have to pull me aside for. And then just critical, critical, critical and controlling the way that I ate and controlling if I allowed Reagan to have dessert It very much about food. It was about what we ate, the way that I looked, the way that I dressed in the way that I behaved around other people, like to the point where I started to make, it started to make me feel self-conscious. And so I would call him on all of those things. It didn't get better. It just kept getting worse. And I remember friends, some mutual friends, said, don't let him treat you like that. You need to call him on it. Because I would call him on stuff, but I would talk to him after, away from other people, not in front of people. But I think that for him, you know, all those arguments were fuel for him. And so with their encouragement, though, I started to realize like, hey, I do need to stand up for myself and there has to be consequences. So I think that's the biggest thing is with him, once I started to have boundaries in the way of not only saying my boundaries and talking to him about them and being upset when he crossed them, I had to start actually having consequences. So,
0: so what, how does that look? What would that be like?
1: So it would be like, okay, if you're going to talk to me this way, if you're going to call me names anymore, I'm not going to go with you on the ski trip with your family this weekend. And so then he would still do that. Then right after, or the next day he'd be like, I'm really sorry. I won't ever do that again, instead of believing his promises no, I'm not gonna go on that ski trip. And he would throw huge man fits is what I would call them, or just rages, throwing things, just like, you know, stomping, screaming, cussing, like, you know, pulling me down, but nope, I'm not gonna do it. And so as soon as I started doing that, things got worse, I would say. But ultimately that worse led to the better of me getting out of this situation because I started to stand up for myself and not put up with shit anymore in the way of like, no, this is not going to happen. Every day was drama, whether it was going out to lunch, if it was just whatever it, it might be. There was always an argument. There was always a fight. I never felt like enough. I was not myself at all with him, even as much as I tried to retain that. You just can't when you're living under constant stress like that. And just that type of person that loved to argue, loved to fight, loved to find things wrong. And, you know, and that's not me. I'm a positive person and I'm an encourager. So it's just this big contrast. And so I'll give you another example of control that actually led into our breakup. And I, I laugh at this. So if you laugh, I, I I find a lot of humor in some of the things that have happened.
0: Much funnier as time has passed, I'm sure.
1: Yeah. In hindsight, it's like, wow, that's, yeah, it's, it's funny. But
0: go ahead. T- tell me.
1: So before we go into the funny part, I do want to say a couple more things just to give you an idea of kind of how he was. The other thing he would control with me was whenever we would have a fight, I would try and like, you know, when he would start yelling like that, I would try and walk away and get some space, let him cool down, cool down myself, gather my thoughts, come back. He wouldn't physically let me leave the room. Uh-huh. And he would say, we are going to talk this out. And I didn't realize until I started going to counseling again in that situation that that is a form of control. That is a form that's on that the wheel of violence and control is not letting you leave freely. And so he wouldn't, he would hold me or he would block exit points. And once I realized that I said, you can't do that anymore. That's a boundary you can't cross. But I didn't realize that actually was a, a form of domestic violence right there.
0: Yeah, it's it's bigger than it looks. Yes.
1: It is. And then one of those times when he said that he was trying to block the exit point, he was arguing with me again at my parents. I, just tried to walk past him and he pushed me and he said it was because he was just trying to jump forward to try and block my way through the doorway but he pushed me so hard i fell all the way back like hit my head on the ground and my brother my dad you know in other rooms it was, it was at night it was so loud they were like keller are you okay and i just I was like what happened and i knew if i told them exactly what happened right there that everything would be over And I wasn't sure that I was totally ready for that, I guess. And Mm -hmm. so I did say, you know, that he was trying to block the exit, wasn't letting me go. And so I just ran into him so hard that I fell over, which doesn't make any sense. But I let that be what it was. And this is after him crying and crying for hours about that. He's so sorry that he did that. I think he was conditioning me for getting to that point of even more physical violence because he did things too. Like um, one time he swerved into oncoming traffic because I was arguing with him about something or I was standing up for myself. And so he swerved into oncoming traffic twice. And so I saw car headlights coming at me just to make me stop. And I called 911, but he took my phone away. So I didn't have access to my phone. And so I'm trying to call 911 because I, you know, after that relationship with Baltimore, I'm like, this is never going to happen again. And I, I, you know, it was one of those situations where then he hung up, but I didn't know if the police were coming. So we drove around in the car for hours. Fortunately, they didn't come because I would have told them what had happened. I wanted them to come. Yes. And when I would cry, or if I would have a facial expression that he didn't like, he would just yell at me. And so I would be crying and rather than, than caring or just give me space, he would just keep yelling at me. And so for me, yelling is a huge trigger. And I realized even after that relationship that if someone yells, I immediately kind of shut down and I go into that frozen Mm -hmm. fear mode again. And so there were a lot of things like that that were starting to escalate and including things like if I would go in the other room and close the door, he would bust through it. He was going to break through it. And so, you know, throwing his whole body. Those things started to happen. As I'm trying to figure out, okay, what's going to happen with this relationship? Is it Is there any point of this working out? And ultimately, um, when I talk about the part about things being funny in hindsight, one other thing that he controlled is he would never let me fart in front of him, which that sounds so crazy, (laughs) but he would never like if, you know, and it's like you are living, I was with him for like five years, you know, you're going to, you're going to toot at some point in time. (laughs) And, but he was just horrified about this. My mom actually, we had this whole running joke where we had a a fart machine that my mom had. And so she would hide it. And like, we liked, at the end, we were, I definitely agree that we were doing a little bit of torture with him because he was so, it was just so annoying at that point in time. But so we would do the fart machine and my he's like, oh my God, your mom's so disgusting. She really needs to see a doctor. And then eventually we told him, you know, it was the fart machine. And yeah, I literally had never farted in front of him. And so at the end, I remember I was like vacuuming and I just, I was like kind of praying. And I just remember having this feeling like, you know what? I just need to be myself. That's all I need to do. Cause I was like, God, what do I do in this situation? And it was like, just be yourself. So I'm like, okay.
0: You're vacuuming, you're vacuuming yeah, vacu- and praying. Vacuuming and praying.
1: Time. And so good. I was like, all right, all right, God, I'm going to be myself. <laughs> so I, right after that, uh, Kyla Wren is, is making food in the kitchen, making dinner and I had to toot. And so I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. So I did. Here it comes. Yeah. And and he just immediately is like, you shit your pants. Oh, my God. You shit your pants. And no, I didn't. But I guess maybe because he hasn't heard a lot of farts in his <laughs> Life, and so
0: let a charmed life definitely.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yes. We we uh, now call it till fart do you part, or, uh, or till fart do us part, because that is <laughs> that that my fart is the thing that that started the argument that ended everything, and so um, from there it went into this whole thing mm-hmm. that started this whole argument, and I, and so then I I said you know there are three things that I want, and these are three things that are deal breakers for me. You know talking about uh, breaking wind. Well, we're going into deal breakers in, in, uh, (laughs) uh, things there. But, um, for me, I was like, you know, I want my dog to be able to be up on the furniture. I want, I want him to be able to go upstairs. Doesn't have to be all the rooms, but just, you know, my daughter's room and in the main hangout Mm -hmm. room upstairs where we play video games. Yeah. You know, this is not right, you know, for my dog and I'm standing up for him. And then the third thing is I want my dog to be able to go to the bathroom in the yard. In our yard, and so he said, "That's it. I want a divorce." And, you know, and then literally four hours of ranting and raving. And at that point in time, I had given up fighting with him because I realized he's not going to change. There's no changing this. This guy. It's it's pointless. So I let him rant and rave. And of course, the next day I wake up after all of this. He's gone to work, and and is immediately texting me like, "Hey." Let's go out to dinner. We can go make, we'll make brownies. We'll do, we're going to go to this adventure course. Like I already bought the tickets. And so of course it's like all that stuff. And I'm like, no, I, we're leaving. So literally Reagan and I, we packed up everything that we could put it in this little tiny Subaru Impreza that I had. And we just left. I wasn't taking any calls. Didn't tell him I was leaving because that would be scary. You know, he's scary. Uh-huh. I, we just left. And so that was the end of, of that relationship and felt that guilt and that sadness for him and, you know, tried to be as kind as I could be. I am so grateful to be out of that situation. Like I thought that was just so freeing. We, it was just this elation to get out of that, that control.
0: Yeah. It's nice to be able to breathe the way you want to breathe and go where you want to go and take your puppies and your daughter. And
1: yes, exactly. It's just
0: amazing that you ran aground twice with these guys like you did. Yeah. In big ways. I mean, they're really the beginning, middle and end of these relationships. Yeah. And you've had a couple other bumpy ones since, right?
1: Yeah. So I would say I've learned so much and I continue to learn. So, you know, after that I thought, okay, I'm never going to get in these situations again. And the biggest key for me is to give it time, give it lots of time because people like that, they will try and sweep you off your feet they will do that whirlwind romance, like everything is perfect, but they can't keep that up forever. So true colors start to show. There was one guy that I dated, I'll call him uh, Hansel, uh, because he started to, you know, leave little breadcrumb trails of like, this is who he is. But it was little by little, I started to see things like that anger starting to come out with him. And even though he Mm. seemed so great, he had this intense anger and started to show this control. Like when I would go to the mall, for instance, he would be trying to call me continually or like, you know, texting me, like, where are you at? When are you coming back? Or were you with another guy? And, and these like crazy things from like, where does that come from? And Uh, yeah, uh. after that, I realized from Kylo Ren, like, even if you have boundaries and you're strong and you, and you say that something's not right, those people aren't going to change. So I realized with him, he's not changing. As soon as those things started to come out, I was done. And so that was, that was the end of it there. And Then there was another guy who I'm going to call him Casanova because he really, he really fits that stereotype of being this Italian dentist, this charmer. My parents were crazy about him. So that's the other thing. Uh. You have to not just take it on your parents. And, and, you know, in in that situation, he was the first guy that my parents really liked. So I thought, wow, like I really, you know, maybe he is special. And, I remember really like he was cute, and we were really good friends and and I loved that part about him, but there was always something just something missing for me, and I don't know what it was, but I think you know now I know it's the intuition telling me that something wasn't quite right. There would be little things that made me think that maybe something wasn't right in terms of that feeling that he was cheating on me, and it was just a feeling i I couldn't pinpoint anything, but I just had this feeling and but also he seems so honest, seems so genuine, so, so gentle. Like he seemed, all of these things seem so all about me. Like my parents would be like, michael he is just crazy about you. He is just, everything is about you. He, my friends all liked him. He just seems so great. So I was like, okay, well maybe, maybe it is my past. Maybe it's because I've gone through those situations where people have cheated on me. I was like, well, maybe, maybe it is, maybe I'm just suspicious because of this, but it took a really long time with him for the big red flags to start showing, and I remember in one situation, I was I was really sad because um, one of my my friends from high school had um, uh, committed suicide, and I was really sad. And mm-hmm. so I was telling this to Casanova, this part of losing that friend and how I was sad and all of that, and he just stops me and he, and he goes, "Can I just tell you something?" and we're driving to the ski hill and and i'm like yeah what and he goes i don't care and it was out of nowhere (laughs) so i was like oh
0: might mean a lot to you but to me yeah i'd rather listen to the radio
1: yeah and i thought what like what I was just pouring
0: my heart out at this moment and uh, you don't care.
1: Yeah. I was like shocked.
0: <laughs> Let's talk about something you do care about.
1: Yeah. And I, I was like, okay, yeah. like this is a, I mean, deal breaker. Like I'm, you know, I've been dating him for this long. Like, he wants to marry me, but no, like if you're going to be like that, like I'm done because I've learned through experience, like you don't tolerate, put up with stuff like that. So
0: if it's important to me, it should be yeah, important to you. Yeah. And yeah. I'm just, especially something that important.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: You wouldn't have to explain that very much. So.
1: But for Casanova, as it is with so many guys like that, they find a way to to then explain it. So it's so then he's explaining that oh, wait, I just said that because I can't I can't fix it as a guy. I want to fix things. I can't fix things, so it makes me sad. You know, language barrier. Like he he, you know, it, even explaining his language of saying that he he would say things like you know I was thinking about that we were going to break up or you know not caring and. And I would be like, oh, really? Like, so, you know, you don't see this like going that way. And he would say like he would guilt me and say, you know, it's because I, I had to move over here. He moved over to um, the East Coast and, you know, I moved over here and I'm so sad because you aren't here. And, and I, you know, and it's trying to persuade me into moving and moving with Reagan and to get me over there. And, of course, isolate me. That's what he was planning. And so trying to guilt yes, me. That's right. Yeah,
0: Exactly. Sure was.
1: There's always a way that he would explain it. So then it was like, you know, it wasn't that he was having changed feelings about me. It was that he thought that my feelings for him had changed because I wasn't moving over there with him to the East Coast. And so it's so warped how, you know, it can explain it away and then, you know, give the benefit of the doubt. You know, he seems so crazy about me. I was his girlfriend up on Facebook. So I was very public. I was on his Instagram. So we were having this long distance relationship later on. It started off with him being local. Then he had to move for work. And then hopefully he wanted to come back to Spokane, had told his family he was going to marry me. You know, that was his plans. And he's coming back to Spokane. And so he'd leave me these messages all the time. Like, I love you so much. I'm thinking about you. And, you know, it's just so sweet, I thought. But there was just something like where I was like, I just something doesn't feel right you know and I thought maybe you'd pull away because of the distance or he's it was work you know you have those excuses and but anyways I basically the the last straw happened on his birthday he was going up to Alaska to go skiing and you know because he was a a competitive level skier in Italy and as he's going up there he's like you know just know that I probably won't be able to be in touch with you while I'm up there because there's not going to be a lot of service and I'm like oh that's totally fine you know have fun babe like have a great time like even though I've been through those experiences with infidelity, it, that's on them. So I think, you know, give him free reign. Like I totally trusted him. So it's like, yeah, no problem. But then my daughter looks on Instagram and there he is up in Alaska, like, Oh, glory me. Look at me up here on this cliff and on this helicopter. And I'm like, wait, what? You can be on Instagram and social media yet. You can't say anything to me. Like
0: you got a good connection there for a minute.
1: Yeah, exactly. So and
0: he made the most of it.
1: Yeah. So I'm thinking, what the heck? So, you know, I sent him a text and, you know, at first I was thinking, you know, I'm just going to wait for a while until he comes back and I'll talk to him. And my daughter, Reagan, is like, that isn't right. You need to remember yourself and your own feelings and, you know, not always be so concerned about other people's feelings and ruining their time. Like, that's really wrong. And so, of course, my my daughter, 13, is the one that's encouraging me. So I, I just wrote him a text, like, you know, that's, I understand that you want this time for yourself and that you weren't going to have service, but you know, it makes me feel really disrespected and not cared for. And so essentially he calls me and it ends up being this conversation of, you know, I'm so sorry. I love you so much. And, but I was like that it's still, there's, there's something else. I'm like, something's not right. And so, you know, I, it's pushing and pushing and just trying to get to the bottom line of what's really going on. And so he's like, you know, I guess maybe my feelings have changed. I just needed this time to think about things. My feelings have changed. And so he broke up with me. It was like, wow. Okay. Okay. You know, at the same time, I'm like, well, as much as it hurt, it also was like, okay, that's a relief because I don't have to be in this limbo place. And You don't have
0: to be a detective anymore trying to figure out yeah. why you expected something was wrong.
1: Sure. I was like, okay, I'm just done. And and once I'm done, I'm done. And that's how it is in these situations. So once I'm done, they know, you know, there's no getting her back. Like once she's made up her mind and the same thing with him, I'm not going to go back to him after he's broken up with me, but so grateful to have gotten out of that And and grateful for listening to my own intuition which has has really saved me a lot and including with a, another guy who I went on a, a date with a friend it was one of those situations where you would think it would be ideal where it's a friend sets you up with this guy that's so wonderful and but for whatever reason I just I had this inkling that there wasn't something quite right there and it, you know and he said little things like that he likes to go out to the bars a lot and I thought well that's not really the kind of guy I want or You know, he would say that, you know, his main thing for work is that he wants to retire early and, you know, just be able to find something on the side, like making something for Amazon. And that's been another theme with a lot of guys that I've dated or, you know, they want to retire early. And, you know, I think they want to
0: get rich quick and and bail out.
1: Yes. So I remember thinking at the time, you know, because he was he was cute. He was nice. He was, you know, he had all these things. And I thought, God, I'm being a little. Maybe I'm being a little too harsh on people right now, you know, maybe I'm being a little, you know, too judgmental. But I thought, no, you know what, I, I need to just like, I just need to make decisions now. And I need to say, like, if he's not what I'm looking for in all of these ways, like, I need to listen to those red flags. And I'm so glad that I did because that guy ended up in the Huffington Post
0: really? <laughs> after
1: our date. Yes. Yeah. My friends that had set me up on the blind date, they said, they contacted me after and they're like, yeah, it's probably a good thing that that didn't work out for you. Uh What was he
0: infamous for?
1: Um For also for infidelity. So he had been uh, weekdays with one, weekends with the other, and had this whole, all of these different things going with both of them. And so, yeah, that would have been another situation where. But I
0: mean, how did he wind up, he wound up working with Huffington or or what he was doing wound up in a story in Huffington? What do you mean?
1: Yep. What What he had done ended up in a story and it was with this girl who, what I mean, who, who
0: wrote the, who wrote the story.
1: So the, the, the girl that wrote the story was the one that, that later found out after she tagged the guy online on Facebook, then this other girl reached out and said, Hey, I'm dating that guy too. Like, and so basically then they both found out, we both are dating the same guy. And with him, he would have been one of those guys. You would have thought, you know, he seems so he's such a nice sure, guy, yeah, yeah. but I had listened to those inklings listened to that intuition that just validated for me like thank god I listened to that intuition with him and I didn't dismiss those little red flags cuz those little red flags are only going to get bigger over time.
0: You're in a nice relationship now, right? I mean, it's
1: Oh my god, I am in the best relationship of my life. I started to date him exclusively right at the start of May, um, somewhere around there and official boyfriend girlfriend in in June 8th. And, you know, it's been one of those that's been a slow burn, but like the best burn ever, like, where it took him a long time to tell me that he loved me and for me to say it back. But Uh it's like the most genuine love. So you're at
0: about seven months at this point. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, my family really likes him and it's the second person ever that my family's really liked. So (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know. So with him, he has been very honest and upfront from the very start. And I think that's, I've done the same with him too. So anytime that something bothers me, I will talk to him about it. And it's not only that he listens and is kind to me about it. It's not yelling. It's having an adult conversation and working on it together and actually caring about my feelings, but like things change. So if there's ever been anything that I've had any concern on or vice versa, like we talk it out and then we both make those changes. And it has taken him a while took him a long time it was like september before he told me that he loved me for me that's a big deal because every other guy has tried to say it so soon so fast we've really been taking our time and he's just a best friend to me i just enjoy him as a person like i really respect him enjoy him as a person like his friends you know the way that he is behind his friends backs and behind his family's backs that's the way that he is all the time you know i like that he's just upfront and honest and so i see this person that that is genuine kind of all throughout. And there's no pressure, no push to like, we need to commit, make this, you know,
0: not shoving timelines in your face and saying, well, you said we'd be doing this by now and this by that. And
1: exactly, nice. That's
0: nice. That's what you need. Yeah. right.
1: Yeah, I really do. It, it's comforting and it's comforting to actually have someone care about me for me. And like, that's been the biggest thing I think with, you know, reading a lot more about emotionally immature people is I think I always felt like I had to be enough for that person or I had to do something to make them happy. And it was about them. And it's just, we're just being, you know, it's uh-huh. just being together. Like it's just to just be and, you know, to realize he likes me for me and, you know, I don't have to change. He doesn't have to change. I'm not trying to change him. He is who he is. I am who I am. And I think that is really exceptional too. Uh-huh. We just enjoy each other. And so it's really nice to have it be healthy.
0: It sounds and it sounds very genuine you know it i understand what you mean about feeling with the other people where you have to kind of create this version of yourself and you have to let parts of yourself go you know you have to say well i can't do that and i can't do that and i'm more comfortable doing this but i can't do it because i don't want an argument and so now it's pretty much you've found somebody who is kind of your emotional equal and you know mm-hmm. you don't have to tippy toe around at times and yes. dress a certain way or do whatever you have to do i mean you can just just do what you would do. And and it just kind of clicks, right?
1: Exactly. Yeah. It's just easy. It's, it's been easy from the start and it stayed easy, you know, and even when we have ever had anything that felt hard, you know, it's like we've talked through it and it's actually gotten better. And I think that's, it's been an authentic, genuine, real relationship. And for him, he, he does things without me asking or expecting, and he's so humble. So anytime I try and tell his family how great he is, he gets embarrassed, which is the total opposite of that narcissistic kind of personality where it's like, yeah, like you aren't doing enough of that. You need to tell me, you know, it's it's all about them. Like with him, he he minimizes, you know, the, the nice things that he does.
0: I'm glad you're at that spot. And it's just, it's interesting because it's like, I, I felt so bad as you were taking me through all those things. But if on the other side maybe you're better off than you would have been had you not gone through those things, which I think that's what you're saying to me basically. Mm-hmm. You know? So it's uh, you're truly a case of what doesn't destroy you makes you stronger, and you know now you're a pretty powerful lady, and that's great. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, it's obvious.
1: I do feel strong. You know, it, it's pretty cool now to be able to stand up for myself and to not let them bully me. I'm not going to let anyone ever push me around again. Like that is for sure, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to let myself be put in that situation. And so. I'm happy, really happy that I can be where I'm at today. Mm-hmm. And feel like I, as much as it's scary to kind of share these stories, it's like very vulnerable, like, but it's real. Like, that's just, you know, that's, that's where I've been. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, where I'm at now is, is definitely well worth that journey to get here.
0: Well, I can tell you, Mikkel, I really appreciate you stopping everything you're doing and to tell us about some of the really hardest and most personal times in your life to come on the When Dating Hurts podcast and share all of that and talk about it. And it takes a very special person to want to do that. Mm -hmm. People like you who are true survivors, they have so much that's got them pinned down And then they start to finally figure their way out of it, in your case, a couple of times because what was coming at you was different. It had a Mm -hmm. sameness, but it was very different. You know, the tactical parts of it were different. But what was really going on was still a a campaign against you, Mm -hmm. using yourself against yourself, you know, using your innocence against you. But here you are at this point, you know, you understand it better than you ever did. And you explain it very well. And I think for people listening in who are in their own spider webs that someone spun for them and get, they got caught up in, and they get caught up in them innocently enough. Those people need to know they're people like you who are really people like them, but you're you've graduated. You know, you've made it all the way mm-hmm. through out the other side. And you know, I would want them to know that they don't have to stay where they are. That there are ways out of it. They have to figure out their way. They should know that they're not alone. They can get help. And, you know, you're a heroic figure for them. And they can be their own hero at some point in time or heroine, however you want to say it. So I love that. Thank you so much for for doing this.
1: Well, Bill, I I just want to tell you, thank you for everything that you've done. Your voice is so important. When I heard you, I was so inspired. And, you know, just, um, you know, I I think that that could happen to any of us. And the fact of I'm really lucky it didn't get worse than it did and I and I know it would have it would have gotten worse you know and, It would have
0: yes yeah and unf- frequency escalates and and violence escalates it's just one of the sad truths yes. it always does
1: I'm so so grateful to you for this opportunity and and yeah, thank you. And and I think the very last thing I would say for anyone that, that has been in that place is to remember to respect yourself, to respect your feelings, respect your intuition, respect your own feelings, wants and needs. I always did that for other people and I didn't ever do it enough for myself. And so that's where I'm at now is really doing that for myself. And that has made such a huge difference for, for me and really for all of my relationships. They've all gotten better because of me doing that for, for me.
0: What you were doing is what anybody would admire you for, which was, you're really looking out for everybody else. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, it doesn't really work for you. It doesn't Mm -hmm. really work. So I'm sure you still look out for other people, but you now include yourself in that thought process. That's really breakthrough stuff. I mean, you can take that from here on and teach others. One thing that runs true through every survivor I've talked with is that they were taken advantage of because. And I mean, I don't know them so well, but what I've heard is that they seem like they're all really nice people and innocent and trusting and maybe a little naive. And the person on the other side of it is none of those things. You know, one of the breakthroughs for me, and there've been hundreds of them since my daughter was killed, but one of the breakthroughs was reading something Mm -hmm. that said that the people who are perpetrators, the people who do what they do, it isn't by accident it is a planned thing. It is a practice thing. So that somebody who's maybe now getting into their 20s, who's been doing this type of thing to other people, these abusive people, by the time mm-hmm. they get in, they've had a lot of trial and error. You know, they see that, hmm, send her a couple dozen roses. That ought to do it. And then they'll have something else tomorrow and maybe they'll borrow money so they can take you out to breakfast and maybe lunch and dinner. And it's like, wow, nobody ever did that for me. All the love bombing that you're referring to. And those things just, they all score. They know how to call the plays and they know how to score. And you're on the other side of it interpreting, but unfortunately interpreting through a very naive lens. Because in a way you're thinking, wow, I can't believe what this person's doing. And my next thought is you shouldn't believe what this person's doing because it's not real. But you don't know, especially you don't know when you're in your teens and maybe into your 20s, unless you've seen the act a few times and you had seen it enough that you didn't have to think that hard to know that something about this is just not right. It's not ringing true. Mm -hmm. And that way you slow down enough and found out enough that, you know, bail out of this one. And it's a good thing because you would have been stuck with with that Mm -hmm. boat anchor around your neck with that guy Casanova Yeah. yeah I just want to thank you for giving me all this time that you gave me today and letting us have this conversation thank you it's great
1: thank you Bill such a blessing
0: I'd like to thank my guests and my listening audience for their support it is clear our listeners look for and play survivor episodes above all others they get caught up between the forces of good and evil all the time pulling for the moment a victim becomes a survivor I am open to other victims and survivors who want to join with me on the When Dating Hurts podcast. We can shine a bright light on the epidemic of dating and domestic violence. We can improve lives and save some innocent people from a lifetime of broken dreams. If you want to tell your victim or survivor story, please contact me at Mitchell at WendatingHurts.com. That's Mitchell at WhenDatingHurts.com.